Chapter Ten of *The Innocents Abroad* by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. We passed the Fourth of July on board the Quaker City in mid-ocean. It was in all respects a characteristic Mediterranean day, faultlessly beautiful, a cloudless sky, a refreshing summer wind a radiant sunshine that glinted cheerily from dancing wavelets instead of crested mountains of water a sea beneath us that was so wonderfully blue so richly brilliantly blue that it overcame the dullest sensibilities with a spell of its fascination they even have fine sunsets on the mediterranean a thing that is certainly rare in most quarters of the globe the evening we sailed away from Gibraltar, that hard-featured rock was swimming in a creamy mist so rich, so soft, so enchantingly vague and dreamy, that even the oracle, that serene, that inspired, that overpowering humbug, scorned the dinner gong and tarried to worship. He said, well, that's gorgeous, ain't it? they don't have none of them things in our parts do they i consider that them effects is on account of the superior refragibility as you may say of the sun's dynamic combination with the lymphatic forces of the perihelion of jupiter what should you think oh go to bed dan said that and went away oh yes that's all very well to say go to bed when a man makes an argument which another man can't answer dan don't ever stand any chance in an argument with me and he knows it too what should you say jack now doctor don't you come bothering around me with that dictionary bosh i don't do you any harm do i then you let me alone he's gone too well them fellows that have all tackled the old oracle as they say but the old man's most too many for em maybe the poet laureate ain't satisfied with them deductions the poet replied with a barbarous rhyme and went below appears that he can't qualify neither well i didn't expect nothing out of him i never see one of them poets yet that knowed anything he'll go down now and grind out about four reams of the awfulest slush about that old rock and give it to a consul or a pilot or a nigger or anybody he comes across first which he can't impose on pity but somebody'd take that poor old lunatic and dig all that poetry rubbish out of him why can't a man put his intellect onto things that's some value gibbons and hippocrates and sarcophagus and all them old ancient philosophers was down on poets doctor i said you're going to invent authorities now i'll leave you too i always enjoy your conversation notwithstanding the luxuriance of your syllables when the philosophy you offer rests on your own responsibility but when you begin to soar when you begin to support it with the evidence of authorities who are the creations of your own fancy i lose confidence that was the way to flatter the doctor he considered it a sort of acknowledgment 
on my part of a fear to argue with him he was always persecuting the passengers with abstruse propositions framed in language that no man could understand and they endured the exquisite torture a minute or two and then abandoned the field a triumph like this over half a dozen antagonists was sufficient for one day from that time forward he would patrol the decks beaming blandly upon all comers and so tranquilly blissfully happy but i digress the thunder of our two brave cannon announced the fourth of july at daylight to all who were awake but many of us got our information at a later hour from the almanac all the flags were sent aloft except half a dozen that were needed to decorate portions of the ship below and in a short time the vessel assumed a holiday appearance during the morning meetings were held and all manner of committees set to work on the celebration ceremonies in the afternoon the ship's company assembled aft on deck under the awnings the flute the asthmatic melodeon and the consumptive clarinet crippled the star-spangled banner the choir chased it to cover and george came in with a peculiarly lacerating screech on the final note and slaughtered it nobody mourned we carried out the corpse on three cheers that joke was not intentional and i do not endorse it and then the president thrown behind a cable locker with a national flag spread over it announced the reader who rose up and read that same old declaration of independence which we have all listened to so often without paying any attention to what it said and after that the president piped the order of the day to quarters and he made the same old speech about our national greatness which we so religiously believe and so fervently applaud now came the choir into court again with the complaining instruments and assaulted hail columbia and when victory hung wavering in the scale george returned with his dreadful wild goose stop turned on and the choir won of course a minister pronounced the benediction and the patriotic little gathering disbanded the fourth of july was safe as far as the mediterranean was concerned at dinner in the evening a well-written original poem was recited with spirit by one of the ship's captains and thirteen regular toasts were washed down with several baskets of champagne the speeches were bad execrably almost without exception in fact without any exception but one captain duncan made a good speech he made the only good speech of the evening he said ladies and gentlemen may we all live to a green old age and be prosperous and happy stuart bring up another basket of champagne it was regarded as a very able effort the festivities so to speak closed with another of those miraculous balls on the promenade deck we were not used to dancing on an even keel though and it was only a questionable success but take it all together it was a bright cheerful pleasant fourth 
toward nightfall the next evening we steamed into the great artificial harbor of this noble city of marseilles and saw the dying sunlight gild its clustering spires and ramparts and flood its leagues of environing verdure with a mellow radiance that touched with an added charm the white villas that flecked the landscape far and near there were no stages out and we could not get on the pier from the ship it was annoying we were full of enthusiasm we wanted to see france just at nightfall our party of three contracted with a waterman for the privilege of using his boat as a bridge its stern was at our companion ladder and its bow touched the pier we got in and the fellow backed out into the harbor i told him in french that all we wanted was to walk over his thwarts and step ashore and asked him what he went away out there for he said he could not understand me i repeated still he could not understand he appeared to be very ignorant of french the doctor tried him but he could not understand the doctor i asked this boatman to explain his conduct which he did and then i couldn't understand him dan said oh go to the pier you old fool that's where we want to go we reasoned calmly with dan that it was useless to speak to this foreigner in english that he better let us conduct this business in the french language and not let the stranger see how uncultivated he was well go on go on he said don't mind me i don't wish to interfere only if you go on tell him in your kind of french he never will find out where we want to go that is what i think about it we rebuked him severely for this remark and said we never knew an ignorant person yet but was prejudiced the frenchman spoke again and the doctor said there now dan he says he's going to ali to the douane means he's going to take us to the hotel oh certainly we don't know the french language this was a crusher as jack would say it silenced further criticism from the disaffected member we coasted past the sharp bows of a navy of great steamships and stopped at last at a government building on a stone pier it was easy to remember then that the douane was the custom-house and not the hotel we did not mention it however with winning french politeness the officers merely opened and closed our satchels declined to examine our passports and sent us on our way we stopped at the first cafe we came to and entered an old woman seated us at a table and waited for orders the doctor said avez vous du vin the dame looked perplexed the doctor said again with elaborate distinctness of articulation avez vous du vin the dame looked more perplexed than before i said doctor there is a flaw in your pronunciation somewhere let me give her a try madam avez-vous du vin it isn't any use doctor take the witness madame avez-vous du vin du fromage pain pickled pig's feet beware de boeufs 
de boeuf, horseradish, sauerkraut, hog and hominy, anything, anything in the world that can stay a Christian stomach. She said, Bless you, why didn't you speak English before? I don't know anything about your plagued French. The humiliating taunts of the disaffected member spoiled the supper, and we dispatched it in angry silence and got away as soon as we could. Here we were in beautiful France, in the vast stone house of quaint architecture, surrounded by all manner of curiously worded French signs, st stared at by strangely habited, bearded French people, everything gradually and surely forcing upon us the coveted consciousness that at last, and beyond all question, we were in beautiful France, and absorbing its nature to the forgetfulness of everything else, and coming to feel the happy romance of the thing in all its enchanting delightfulness. And to think of the skinny veteran intruding with her vile English at such a moment to blow the fair vision to the winds. It was exasperating. We set out to find the center of the city, inquiring the direction every now and then. We never did succeed in making anybody understand just exactly what we wanted, and neither did we ever succeed in comprehending just exactly what they said in reply. But then they always pointed, they always did that, and we bowed politely and said, Merci, monsieur. And so it was a blighting triumph over the disaffected member anyway. He was restive under these victories and often asked, What did that pirate say? Why, he told us which way to go to find the Grand Casino. Yes, but what did he say? Oh, it don't matter what he said. We understood him. These are educated people, not like that absurd boatman. Well, I wish they were educated enough to tell a man a direction that goes somewhere. But we've been going around in a circle for an hour. I've passed that same old drug store seven times. We said it was a low, disreputable falsehood, but we knew it was not. It was plain that it would not do to pass that drug store again, though. We might go on asking directions, but we might cease from following finger-pointings, if we hoped to check the suspicions of the disaffected member. A long walk through smooth, asphaltum-paved streets, bordered by blocks of vast, new mercantile houses of cream-colored stone, every house and every block precisely like all the other houses, and all the other blocks for a mile, and all brilliantly lighted, brought us at last to the principal thoroughfare. On every hand were bright colors, flashing constellations of gas-burners, gaily-dressed men and women thronging the sidewalks. Hurry, life, activity, cheerfulness, conversation, and laughter everywhere. We found the Grand Hotel de Louvre at Depart, and wrote down who we were, where we were born, what our occupations were, the place we came from last, whether we were married or single, how we liked it, how old we were, 
where we were bound for and when we expected to get there and a great deal of information of similar importance all for the benefit of the landlord and the secret police we hired a guide and began the business of sightseeing immediately that first night on french soil was a stirring one i cannot think of half the places we went to or what we particularly saw we had no disposition to examine carefully into anything at all we only wanted to glance and go to move keep moving the spirit of the country was upon us we sat down finally at a late hour in the great casino and called for unstinted champagne it was so easy to be bloated aristocrats where it costs nothing of consequence there were about five hundred people in that dazzling place i suppose though the walls being papered entirely with mirrors so to speak one could not really tell but that there were a hundred thousand young daintily dressed exquisites and young stylishly dressed women and also old gentlemen and old ladies satin couples and groups about innumerable marble-top tables and ate fancy suppers drank wine and kept up a chattering din of conversation that was dazzling to the senses there was a stage at the far end and a large orchestra and every now and then actors and actresses in preposterous comic dresses came out and sang the most extravagantly funny songs to judge by their absurd actions but that audience merely suspended its chatter stared cynically and never once smiled never once applauded i had always thought that frenchmen were ready to laugh at anything End of chapter 10 Recording by B. Scott Holmes B. Scott Holmes dot com